Join myself and Jason at MicroConf 2011, June 6 and 7 in Las Vegas. For more information, go to microconf.com and enter in TechZing to get $100 off a ticket. Welcome to episode 132 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts, where I haven't done any preparation whatsoever. Uh, this is a very impromptu uh, session today. So how are you doing today, Jason? Doing, doing well. Uh, well, have you ever prepared in the past? Oh, usually, usually <laughs> I write out some notes. Yeah, just a few notes here and there. Okay, well, I'll just grill you on stuff. Why don't we start by uh, just get an update on the Abu story? The thing is, this story isn't really going to go anywhere because he's on holiday right now. Oh, okay. He's, he's well, on vacation, but I do have a good, I do have a good way to start. Do you, do you want to hear it? Okay, go ahead. Since I've moved in with uh, Georgie's parents, that's my wife's uh, parents-in-law, to, to, to remove debt, to clear debt. Right. In the, we've been here four months, and right. we've actually gotten rid of $50,000 worth of debt. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. How did you make so much progress? Well, so, I mean, it, you don't, when, you, when you get a car, you don't kind of think of it as, oh, that's all debt, but it actually is. So we had that, I had that Audi, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So this Audi that I had was an Audi TT, and basically we had 30000 uh, to pay off on that TT. So that's 30000 debt, and then we right. had this other credit card for 30000 So we've cleared down 30000 Sorry, we cleared down 20000 of the credit card um, just by paying down 20000 And the Audi, we cleared the whole thing, even though we were upside down 7000 So we've actually paid $7,000 to get out of that deal. Wow. So in other words, we just gave... So it sounds counterintuitive. It's like, oh, that's crazy. Why would you, give, why would you just give 7000 to get out of that deal? But actually, according to Dave Ramsey, right? And this is the, the, the guy who we're doing, who's the, basically the guy who talks about why you shouldn't be in debt. And essentially, when you go through his, his seminars, it makes you feel like a freaking idiot for being in debt in the first place. You feel right. like such a chump. Anyway, um, the smallest loans cleared, you know, he's got this concept called the debt snowball, so you clear the smallest loans first. And the cheapest way of getting out of a debt is that's the one you should go for. So actually, there's 30 grand's worth of debt. We're paying 7,000, but then we're just getting out of that debt. We don't have that issue. The car's not devaluing. And we then free up the kind of 750 per month that we, instead of having to pay 750 a month, because when you figure in gas and when you figure in the 650 monthly payment and when and you, insurance, and insurance, probably. right, exactly. So, so we've now freed up 750 a month, even though we've lost 7,000. Now, did you already pay the 7,000? Yep. Dealt with. Done. Wow. So now how'd you, who'd you sell the car to? CarMax. Now, oh really? So you just took, you just took it to CarMax and got it done with because you couldn't find you didn't you were you were unable to find a buyer. It was really difficult to find a buyer online, and I was amazed that CarMax. The CarMax is this. Um, I don't know for for anyone in the UK who's not America, buying buying cars everywhere else in the world is different to America, right? <laughs> buying a car in America is a very strange experience. It's this real intense haggle experience it's it's this like the like the salespeople pressure you so much it's like oh my god it's like they come right down on you yeah and everybody hates everyone hates buying cars so <laughs> there, there's this one company in america that does it the european way and basically it's called carmax and they've got a lot of branches and they just say we don't haggle 
you know, the price that you've that's on the window is our lowest price. And so you can just kind of walk in there and just buy a car and, and job done. But they do the same thing. What I just found out is they do the same thing for selling your car. You can just walk in and they will always buy your car. They will always give you the fairest price. But, you know, the fairest wholesale price. Right. And they deal with the whole reconciliation. You just give them the, you know, you give them the, the, the shortfall and they deal with the bank. So they do all the paperwork as well. Wow. So, that's convenient because that could have turned turn that could have been a big mess for you massive. if you tried to sell to an individual, right? Massive. Massive. Because you didn't own the car right. You owed money on the car. Exactly. It, the, the value of the car probably didn't cover what you owed on it. And, and that would be all that would be complicated in in the buyer getting a loan if they weren't able to pay cash for it. If you hate paperwork, and I know you hate paperwork, Jason, like I do. I mean, <laughs> paperwork is the worst thing in the world, right? And I, I always try and give it off to my wife, and you always try and give it to your wife. But in this case... <laughs> no, I don't try and get it off. I, I, I never see it. <laughs> okay, right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, paperwork is just... I don't know why, but my brain cannot deal with it. Even at one form, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. But anyway, CarMax took the whole thing on, and it was awesome. Just awesome. Wow. So we, so CarMax, big thumbs up for CarMax. That's big, actually yeah. a great solution. I, I'm, I, you know, I don't know why I didn't think to suggest that when you first brought up the topic. I, I've never bought or sold a car... Um, or you know, would have done business with CarMax, but I've been aware of them. So ah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, like for- the, when we went to buy our car as well, we ended up getting a car from from CarMax. But when when we went to originally to buy, we went into a few different um, showrooms. I just mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe the tactics of of the sales guys. Just the way that they'd I don't know they they could try and schmooze you, and 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 then you'd kind of walk out the door, and they say, okay, okay, two grand off, two grand off. And, and you know, you'd get a bit further and then they say, okay, three grand off. And then you get a bit further and they'd be like, okay, five grand off. And it's like, it's just really weird. It's annoying is what it is. Yeah. So uh, do you have another car to drive? Yeah. Well, Georgie's got her matrix, which we got from CarMax. Um, we already had that. And we're just, we're just going to use that. Like I don't, I don't even need a, a car to be perfectly honest. We only need one car between us. Yeah. Cause during the day you're, you're working at home. Yeah. You're gonna, really need to go anywhere now we're moving to hollywood uh relatively soon right is that like walking distance to anywhere it's you need walking to- it's walking distance to the grove it's like literally oh. five minutes walk away from the grove well for from- people who don't know what the grove is uh, it's what an, it's like a really high-end outdoor sort of shopping center it's like um how can i say it's like saying if you were living in england it's like being five minutes walk from leicester square yeah, it's right. really nice. It's so that's great. So you don't really need a car. If you're going to go anywhere during the day to grab some lunch, grab a cup of coffee, if you wanted to have a meeting with somebody, or, 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 you know, you could just go down to the Grove. Listen, I didn't, I never drove for the first 40 years of my life. Then I got my, then I took my driving test and I learned how to drive. And I'm glad to say that I think I'm done with driving now. <laughs> <laughs> I've done like a year's worth of driving. And you know what? It's not all it cra- it's cracked up to be. I hate driving. I just hate it. <laughs> I never want to drive again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you just you kind of got burnt on the whole debt thing. Yeah, that that that. But that, it's, it's not just that. that. Like I got, I mean, I I think I got every guy's you know dream car, first car. Like my first car was this amazing sports car, right? This TT. I mean, literally, you can drive, you can race these things. I mean, it's so freaking fast, right? Yep. But even that, I mean, like, I mean, what you know, you just need a pair. I mean, no big deal. And plus, also, it feels like you're driving in a coffin. It's so freaking claustrophobic. It is small. I remember when uh, we drove in it a couple times yeah. together. Oh, my God. So, um, well, that's great news. So, you, you've, you must be feeling really good about yourself just in general, how, getting control of the debt, right? Because you were stressed there for a while. Well, I think it's, it's, I mean, based on the credit card 
and the car. So that 50 grand worth of debt, because it is, it is a full 50 grand worth of debt cleared up, that now frees up $1,000 a month, uh, exposes $1,000 a month that I don't need to pay out in debt anymore. So I just feel fantastic about that because we're just about to move into an apartment. That, guess what? It costs $1,000 a month. Right. So that's well, it, right? So the, so the whole rent's covered. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, if you, you know, I, it's such a relief when you get that burden off your back, right? Mm-hmm. I, 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 I remember when uh, I, I first um, paid off all my student loans. I had like five different student loans, and I that were in, I think totaled about thirty thousand. Mm-hmm. And oh, it was just such a moment of triumph getting all this done. And then I, right after that, I was done with that. I knocked out all the credit cards. I can't remember what. Maybe I did the credit cards first, but it was just like, yes, <laughs> no more debt. <laughs> It's really interesting. You know, I was just reading another article about the whole college, um, you know, whether you should go to college or not. Uh, There's an article, I think it was like in the Atlantic Monthly or maybe it was in New York, New York or something. And they, they actually were talking about Peter Thiel of PayPal uh, fame and um, James Altucher being the two big proponents of it. Oh, yeah, okay. The reasons not to go to college. And, you know, one of the primary reasons is that it's uh, – it's it's increased in price tenfold since 1970. The price mm-hmm. of going to college, and essentially, you know, whereas healthcare has gone up like five or seven times, and actual inflation is like three times, and, and so it's far outpaced inflation, and it it may not necessarily give people that much more benefit. And what happens is. You know, it's one thing to get a degree in something where you can make a lot of money and you can pay it off. So if you get a if you were to get a medical degree and you become a doctor or you become a lawyer, or you do go into finance and investment banking, or even you get a degree in engineering and you can make a solid salary. But for people who then go into things like you get degrees in like humanities mm-hmm. of some kind, um, or social work, things that require advanced degrees a lot of times, but then pay very little, you're kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you may love what you do, but you're re- I mean, not only are you, so you know, let's say you're going to go into social work and you're going to, you know, or you're going to be a teacher. You're going to make, you know, $30,000 a year, $40,000 a year. Well, that's, that's exactly the position that George is in. Like, yeah, so so well, she's they, working, she's basically a child therapist, right? And she's, mm-hmm. it's not like she's, you don't earn a hundred grand a year for that kind of job. I mean, you've got, I think it maxes out at like 60 or something like that. And she's still new in the degree. I mean, she's not uh, long. Yeah. In her, well, cause she, she's, cause not, she, she's, you know, she's not, she's not far along in a career. I should say. She's well, you have early. to go through the, here's the thing. Even to, even to be paid your normal rate, you have to accrue, accrue something like 2000 hours. <laughs> it's like something ridiculous, like a huge amount of hours to, to get accepted as a full time, you know, as a fully licensed person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that's why it's such a dangerous uh, direction to go into because you're, you just, it's, it's a bad financial move. I mean, it may be some, it may be the kind of job that makes her happy that she just loves it and gets up every morning and say, this is what I want to be doing with my life. But you're sort of signing over, you're signing up for a life of uh, destitution, or whatever, mm. unless, unless you're married to someone who, uh, who can pick up the slack financially. Yeah. You know. Georgie lucked out there. She did. Plugio is coming through. <laughs> Plugio is like the little engine that could. It's yeah, it's a little engine that could possibly, maybe. We'll see. I, I, I think it is. Well, speaking of the little engine that could, uh, that could what's the? Uh, what's oh well, the- hold on a second. I don't want to do. Let's let's. That's that will be two in a row from me. So let's go back to you and find out about Epic Night. Okay, so um, the update is I've have five. Active beta testers, uh, awesome. Neville, Aaron, Michael Richards. Oh, Aaron! No, you got to say Aaron teaches pet. 
That's your nickname for him. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Udi and Pat Maddox. And they've all, uh, it, what, what they all did at, uh, at first was, since I didn't have a way for them to report bugs, is they just were sending me emails. And they all did a great job of it, except my inbox just got jammed. Yeah. With, you know, four or five emails in a row from each one of them. They'd be like, hey, I ran into this. And, oh, by the way, I saw this. And here's a screenshot of that. And it was fantastic feedback. But my inbox was like, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> I guess losing track of like all, you know, of the issues. And, you know, I hate having a, a, a full inbox. I kind of I kind of like to follow the inbox zero approach. And you really can't do that if your inbox is your bug report. Whereas I love having 33,000 mails in my inbox, but yeah, yeah that's you just and me. James Altucher. Yeah. I think he has a B is like a hundred thousand or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I decided to use Apignite to generate a bug reporter, which I called uh complainer, <laughs> which I do so, believe was my, my initial idea. Yeah. It's, it's everybody's initial idea. Everyone, everyone starts building, I'm going to build a bug reporter for Apignite. Okay. <laughs> but I'll give it to you. Yeah. It was your idea. But yeah, I was one of the, First thing, so I went and I, I, I built one, and um, I guess there's like 55 or 60 reported issues. Mm-hmm. Some of them were duplicates, like, you know, one will report something that the other two have also reported. So, um, but uh, it's, it's interesting using it to actually to build an app like that, right? Like, I, it, it's sort of the eating your own dog food approach. Perfect, yeah. So I'm definitely like, oh, this should be easier to do this, or I, I'm going to need to be able to do that. And uh, so it's, it's it's been instructive. So um, what's what's your biggest takeaways from it then, in terms of what it's missing and what what kind of stuff you need to add to it? Oh, my biggest takeaways. I just think there's lots of different things. I mean, there there are of course some usability quirks. There are um, there are issues with there. I would say the biggest things are just some uh, code generation bugs. There's a couple of of, of small bugs with the code generation mm. where the generated application has a bug in it. That's getting, there's few, I, I, I nailed probably 10 of those already. Were you able to build your whole thing um, using Apignite proper or did you have to kind of add some custom code? No, I'm, I'm using Apignite proper without any custom code. So I'm keeping it hosted um, on Apignite server. So, so, the, the bug, so the bug tracker, you didn't do anything custom. You just basically did point and click. That's right. Well, you know, of course, editing the HTML, but there's an in-browser in code editor for editing the HTML and CSS. Mm. Um, awesome. So it's, I mean, it's not beautiful, but it works, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's, it's a lot prettier than it was. I mean, I edit the HTML and CSS to the point that it looks kind of like a bug tracker, can but you, I can make it look a lot better. And can you add screenshots look. and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. That was actually one thing I was going to, I was going to do is so that you could attach an image to uh, an issue when you report an issue, but I was sort of wondering whether I should do it that way or I should attach like a rich text, um, editor when you when you uh, when you want to enter or edit an issue and that way would allow you to uh, insert images inline sort of like you can do with um, any rich text editor oh okay we're, we're, but they'd still need to be stored on the server somehow so you'd have to like upload them right yeah so but i so i've kind of been mixed on that because i because i got some emails from a number of the guys and and who with with screenshots right i mean people like to yeah. It's mo- it's much more instructive if they say, "Oh, I saw this error on this page," you know, and and it's much better if they could just here's here's what I saw, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that helps me a lot too. So, I definitely want to do that. I think I think in the short term I might just have it. You can attach an image, um, and I have that in there, but nobody's used it yet. Every, um, oh, okay, so it already does that. It does that, but there are 
there's a problem with I notice there's a bug where if you if you create an issue uh, and this will crap anytime you use an image and you upload an image or you attach an image or you know as a file mm-hmm. it'll upload the image but then if you go and edit it later it won't load that value into the upload into the into the into the value of the uh, the input um, element and so then when you save it again it'll replace the image <laughs> you lose it oh, okay. so I, I, I had to fix that um, but I don't think anyone's has tried has tried to upload an image yet so it's probably not an issue but that's been helpful and I think I think it's also helpful too when the the beta testers can can add stuff and then see that other people are adding issues and see that I'm marking them as resolved. And I've sent like, I need to send another email, but I, I've been sending an email about every three or four days with an, you know, just call like update number four, uh, here are five, you know, issues that have been resolved and just describing them. So they kind of keep up with what the, there's progress being made. Cause I think as a beta tester, you need to feel that if you're putting in time to solve problems that these problems are being addressed and in, in, in some kind of, reasonable in some reasonable amount of time right yeah definitely so right. yeah so that's what i've been doing with uh complaint but the other thing that um that i was using app night for i have a, a big client project that's fairly complicated i mean it has two different types of user it has like a user you know how like in um i don't know say like elance or something like that you'd have you'd register as an um, as a pr- service provider versus a an employer yeah employer or versus somebody looking to hire somebody yeah and they have completely different types of interactions. So there's two different types of users with different types of fields and different types of behaviors. There are favorites. There are rev- uh, v- reviews. So it's a matchmaking site, search. basically. Yeah, but the, yeah, but the, yeah, and so it has all these things that need to be in it, tags, and you know, mm-hmm. the, and some of it which Appignite supports, and some of it doesn't. So in order to get this thing done, um, because I, 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 at first I started trying to add these features to AppIgnite first before generating it, but then it was just running out of time, and I knew I wasn't going to get all of it done. So I said, all right, what I'll do is I'll use AppIgnite to generate um, as much of it as I can, and then I'll just cut and paste that code into this other project directory and, and you know, just make the adjustments that I need. And that's been very helpful because it, it, it does like 90% of the work. Well, this is, and, and what's great is because you know it inside out, it's very easy for you to customize it. But we, we were talking offline about this, and, and I was saying that is exactly what Ruby on Rails or Cake, the whole kind of bake stuff where you, you use a command line to create your models and views, and then it gives you this, this whole skeleton, and then you just add in your custom code. So um, although you've never worked with those frameworks, I mean, all, all kind of paths end up, end up at the same place. So you're kind of in in that same mode as, as these other Ruby developers. Yeah. When you do stuff except like that. that, is that the, you know, what's interesting is with Appigan, of course, you know, I can create a model and add all this stuff with a few clicks and then generate it. At, you know, I don't have to write any custom code. And anytime you have to write custom code, it just takes more time because you just have to think more. Right. And anytime you're laying out the code on the, on, in your editor and you're like, okay, well, it's this type of, I mean, you just, you just have to think. You just have to look at the syntax and uh, I don't know. Well, the way, the way that it works with the, with the command line stuff is basically you just say create model, right? And then it says, okay, you know, what do you want to be referenced to where? So it just it's just like a few multiple choice thing. You know, it's like gives you some mm-hmm. multiple choice questions. And then you click okay and then it generates all the code. So it's pretty similar scenario to the point and click. Um mm-hmm. but it's just like a command line answer yes or no a few times. Right. Right. That's that's, that's how that's working. So I well, what is interesting about generating this application is that 
it's it's allowed me to think hard hard about um, or make some improvements in the code, which then I will then filter back into Epic Night. Oh, nice. So I made sort of the router code a little tighter and a little cleaner. And I'm like, okay, I'll I'll make the generator generate it this way in the future. Yeah. Um, And I did that in a few places. Um, But the code is pretty tight that's generated. So I look at it and looking at it, you're like, wow, this is just simple. Mm. Um, It it makes it easy to make some quick adjustments. But um, so that's been really good i think it's it's it was it, obviously it's a little annoying thinking oh i i just spent three hours right you know making these adjustments if if happening it was a little further along it would take me two seconds right <laughs> or 30 seconds well you got to get there one way or another yeah you got to get there one way or the other that's one of the things you know I, I, this thing is pretty much due on tuesday so this weekend i'm i'm going to be working on it finishing it up but it it, it uh, made me think of something else which is another topic so um you and i have talked about breathing life into any food, the any food concept. Yes. Which, um, in any food, as we've, we've, ta- we've, I don't know, the first, idea first came up, what, like a, over a year ago, probably at least, right? Yeah. And the idea is that it would be a site where you would go on and you could find people who, um, sell their time, you know, by the hour, um, to, as sort of mentors, instructors. So let's say that you need help, uh, configuring your Linux, box or you need help with some uh, optimizing MySQL or optimizing Drupal or whatever it is, right? Learning some new language. Yeah, because I mean, both of us have done this, but I've done this, I think, like three times within the last year where I would just tweet out on Twitter or Elance or whatever, just look, is there anyone who can spend an hour with me or a couple of hours with me going through this? So one of those times was going through Flex, Flex, um, which is you know, the Cairngorm pattern is pretty complicated. Another time was going through cake, you know, and it was great to get someone to just kind of explain cake to me in that way. And just after a couple of hours, you're saving yourself at least a week's worth of headache because a big part of learning these new environments is the environment itself. There's always quirks about the environment, you know, it's like you have to, you have to press minus S you know, and that makes it all much easier. Things, weird little things like that. Well, things that sometimes would have taken you hours of, you know, trolling the internet. Yeah. Uh, looking for that, that little piece of information. I mean, you can learn a lot on your own mm-hmm. and you always, you can always learn it all by yourself, but sometimes it's just not time efficient. Sometimes the best thing to do is to go read some tutorials, build some simple code and start and start working on your project. And then we start running to a series of problems. Then you get one of these people to come on and say, all right, well, you know, spend a couple hours with me and take me to the next level on this, you know, work, work me through this stuff. What, it's just like when you're, it's like when you're in graduate school, it's like, you know, if you're going to graduate degree in math or physics or something, you need, or any, I guess, probably any field, you need a, uh, an advisor. You need a, a professor who is your advisor, who guides you through the problems that says, here's how you need to think about this. Here's the information you need to go investigate, you know, but maybe go do these things and come back to me. It's not just that. There's some things that both you and I are pretty expert in, right? There's some stuff that we're just really good at. I would like to sell that skill for a, you know, hundred or a couple of hundred an hour, you know, depending on what the, depending on what the skill was. And, uh, it's always great to meet new people. And, you know, I love the idea of working with someone for just an hour, you know, and then meet, meeting a whole bunch of people. Cause it's a great way to grow your network. Right. Yeah. Well, imagine if you could hire somebody to help you. I mean, you, it doesn't just have to be technical, although we could start out being technical. Yeah, I think we don't want to boil the ocean. Yeah. But you could then move into more other startup-related things like marketing and, uh, you know, whatever. But um, I, there isn't no, nobody's on the web, as far as we can tell, is doing it how you and I want it done. 
That yeah, a lot of people are doing it. There's a lot of sites that, that, that are doing it, but not the way that we want it done. But something else that I want to say is I've, I've been wanting Jason and me to enter some kind of actual business as a 50-50 partnership uh, for a while. And I think this would be a good opportunity, a good little test case for us. Okay, so you know what I was thinking? I had, oh, I had a few different thoughts on the AnyFood concept. Go on. Um, I, I have the domain anyfood.com. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool. It's like, you know, like, you know, they call that your command line foo, <laughs> you know, like foo or something. So I think any foo is, it works, it's short, it's five letter domain. Um, I think what we do is we start with the tech audience. We leverage uh, our, our listenership and, and we also leverage Startup Guild. Between those two platforms, we should probably get, a, we could probably get at least a few hundred people registering as instructors slash experts. So if you're a SQL expert or a Linux expert or a Ruby expert or a Node.js expert, whatever, whatever it is that you're an expert that you wouldn't mind, you know, charging $100 an hour or whatever it, to give people advice. And, and what we're thinking is that the, the, the general way that you would do that is, you, is via Skype, right? Screen sharing and video co- uh, conferencing over Skype, right? In, in actual fact, I just, just a few days ago, spent um, an hour on Skype screen sharing with someone who contacted me via the con- via the podcast and via um, Startup Guild to go through the optimization of the Plugio server. So <laughs> we definitely have the people who who have the skill set, no doubt about it. And how did that work out? Oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah, really, really good. Um, <clears throat> he showed me some changes that have just like, I don't know, inc- I, I haven't specifically tested it, so I can't tell you, but it feels lightning fast. In fact, Plugio seems to be running faster on the server than it does locally. <laughs> so now that I've got the um, now that I've got the uh, optimizations, basically the PHP and the and the MySQL optimizations happening on the server, all the all the response times are just literally faster. Uh, what were what were some of the um, specific suggestions? Well, first of all, I wasn't using um, any any byte caching, right? So when the code the code wasn't compiling in any way, and it wasn't caching uh, caching byte code, so everything was being passed on everything. So the first thing I did was to install APC. Okay. Um, do you have APC set up? I ha- I have not. I have not. I don't have it set up, but I've heard about it. So so APC. It's I, I'm just kind of irritated with myself for not doing this before because to install APC on Ubuntu anyway, it's just one line. It's just like you, it's just one command, and then it's right. and that's it. It's there, and it do, you, you don't change your app in any way. Nothing to do. You just type this one command and it's done. Right, and then all of a sudden you're using caching. Right. So. Um, that was there, and then there, there's one option that you do because I use a lot of include once in my code, and okay. um, include once is fairly unoptimized. So there's one option called um, override include once with the APC code that's set off by default. And when right. I te- when it was when I switched that one on, that everything just went like a million times faster. Yeah, I've been wanting to do that because one of the things that I do in AppIgnite, um, both AppIgnite proper and in the generated apps, is I. I create a file called uh, autoloader mm-hmm. and I override the autoload um, function. Have you ever used that? No. So the way autoload works is that let's say you create a, a class and you, you know, do new um, my class um, and, and the name of your class is called my class, right? Yeah. Well, it will autom- autoload will automatically look for the string my, um, my class and then and, and, uh, maybe through a switch statement or a hash and do a, a require once or include once of the specific file that, that has that class in it. Okay. So if you have, you, you know, may have like 20 or 30 or 40 um, uh, classes in your application and this thing gets loaded up and therefore you don't have to have includes throughout your application. 
Right. Everything, everything yeah. is in, especially if it's class. Like I write everything in terms of classes. So everything can be, in, so I don't have any includes in any of my files. I just have this autoloader file that has a list of all my classes and the, and the file that it's in. And if you use byte caching, that thing gets um, cached one time along with a few others that get called a lot and you never have to worry about it super fast. Yeah, you'll, you'll see this, um, this APC thing. It's just, it's just astonishing how simple it is to install and how easy it works. So um, the, the other thing that he had me do was, and, and this is kind of, from speaking to a few other MySQL people, this is up for debate about how good this is, but my, my gut feeling it is good, right? Is that you have um, two different table types. You have InnoDB and you have MySAM. Right. And so they each ta- each table type has its kind of skill set, right? And the, the obviously- well, it's, a, it's a table type. It's actually like a, the, the, the engine. engine. The engine it's the yeah. engine, right? Yeah. And um, Okay. So, so the so the InnoDB has all the kind of um, foreign keys and all that stuff, and as foreign keys, cascading deletes, transactions, record level locking, um, it's just a much more sophisticated, uh, full featured engine than MySAM, right? Yeah, so exactly right. So InnoDB is different, MySAM is different. So MySAM is kind of simple, right? So you get full text search with MySAM, you don't with InnoDB. But right. the main point that 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 he was making is that. To get these things working faster, you want to get you want to get them in RAM. You want to get them in memory. Right. So and so at the moment, when I first looked in it, I had a a cache like a kind of a RAM cache of basically sixteen megs for uh, my Sam, which is which is nothing, right? He's so right. he's saying that essentially you should have thirty um, percent of your entire server, just as a kind of rough guideline, thirty percent of your server's RAM to be dedi- okay. to be dedicated to the to the MySQL. Right. But there's the other point is that it, it, the way that mine was set up, for whatever reason, half of my tables were in ODB and half of them were MySAM. So what that and e- even if you have like a, a big chunk of tables as MySAM versus in ODB, it kind of means you need to create these two big caches. Right. Now, each caching system is optimized in its own right. Okay. So if let, let's say, for example, I, I was to do I was to do that, and I was to basically say, right, I'm going to create 150 meg cache for InnoDB and 150 meg cache for MySAM, right? Right. In a sense, I would be wasting space because I'd have I would have two systems both trying to optimize a cache, but one of them is going to be more optimized than the other. He said that if I basically converted all of my tables to one type, or the bulk of my tables to one type, and made that one the predominantly larger cache, it would be a far more optimized system. Because essentially, that's just one cache being as optimized as possible. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I moved everything to InnoDB, and I basically made, uh, like, I literally, because I don't have any full text search, I don't have any reason to use my SAM, right? So I've moved everything to InnoDB, and basically, I have a, I have a, a gig uh, server memory, and I've just apportioned 300 megs for the InnoDB cache, and I've left the MySAM cache at 16 megs. And by the way, I keep on saying he. But credit where credit's due, I should say that it's Stuart Robinson. And uh, you can find out more about Stuart at fullfactthings.com. Okay. Uh, what um, what uh, hosting provider do you use? Uh, Rackspace. Okay. And so do you have a virtual private server? Virtual private server with one gig RAM, yeah. How much does that run you a month? 40 bucks. Because mine is, my, the, the, the one that I'm using is dog slow. Um, so I might need to. Give that a look. I might need to move my system over. Which one are you using? Rackspace. A2 Hosting. They do a really good job on the um, shared hosting. So it right. seems fast. But for the VPS, it's slow. And it's like it seems like it's like 
it'll be it, you'll, it'll be fast for a few for maybe a minute or two, and then you'll do something and it'll be super slow. So a lot of times, what'll happen when the big complaints is every once in a while when you create a model, it'll be like a instead of like two seconds and saying okay, regenerated your entire application, it might take three minutes. Oh man. Well, Which I'm, is, of course, of course, is a non-starter, right? I mean, no, that's no good. I'll tell you what's awesome about Rackspace as well is once, like, so this is Rackspace servers, not Rackspace sites. Rackspace sites kind of sucks. I thought it was good, but it sucks. But Rackspace servers, is, it just rocks. That's basically the, the same as Amazon, but I just like the way Rackspace does it. So one thing that's really cool is that I wanted to, I, I wanted to create a dev, a dev server when I got Abu started to work with me so that the code was no longer auto-committed. Because I was originally just auto-committing and, and deploying code to live. But then right. I thought, right, once I've got new people working, I don't want that to happen because bad code could end up on life. But I still wanted, to, wanted it to be auto-committed to a server that I could prove the code and kind of test it. So basically to create a, an intermediary staging, staging server. Yep. So in Rackspace, it was as simple as create a new instance and just basically clone my actual live server, which it does in like a minute. And all of a sudden, you've got a whole new server, which completely is every tiny little part of it is exactly the same as your live server, Right. And right. it's just got a different IP address. And because I've had, I mean, in the past, I've had so many scenarios where, for whatever reason, the staging server and the dev server was just not the same as the live server, right? right. You know, it has different, I don't know, different instances of Perl and different libraries and different C libraries. And there's just always slight different things. But this makes it so easy. You just click a button and you've got exactly the same server, you know? That's really cool. 40 yeah. bucks a month. I think I'm going to be moving over there because I've been really frustrated with this, uh, some of the speed issues with my current VPS. So well, it's, it's, 40, it's 40 bucks a month based on the one gig RAM, right? So it, when, when you clone it, you just choose it as 256 meg and then it's like five bucks a month, right? So, right. so for your dev server, it's just barely anything. Yeah, and the, and the other thing is, if with any food, it would be the perfect... This would be the perfect uh, use case, right? It's like, okay, I'm not a Linux guy. If I need any help installing or configuring the Linux box, I'd like, I wouldn't mind having, uh, you know, somebody spend an hour or two. Actually, I'd very much like someone to spend an hour or two walking me through it, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, that would be if we had like people registered on Anyfu as, you know, Linux gurus. So, uh, you know, I was thinking about the whole Anyfu thing. Uh, do, do you want to jump back to Anyfu for a second? Yeah, I'd like to. I mean, there's there's one thing that I wanted to get in okay. uh, not too far into the show, which was the, the idea I had about promoting the show. But um, I don't know whether we want let's, to talk. Yeah, let's get to that in a minute. I'm going to go back to Anyfu. I'm going to finish the Anyfu topic off because okay. I have okay. some ideas on it. So, the one of the, one of the problems with things like Odesk and uh, Elance is that it sort of keeps... Um, domestic developers out because the prices are too low. Right. Right. And it just doesn't, you can't compete against uh, people in Eastern Europe and, uh, and, and uh, Asia. Um, but what I was sort of thinking is if we, if we said, all right, this is high end stuff, this is, you're hiring, you know, true experts. Um, and what we do is we say the minimum price is like $100 an hour or something like that. Or like you start at $100 an hour, everyone starts at $100 an hour, and once you get a certain level of reviews of and ratings and stuff, you have an automatic pricing of $150 or $200 an hour. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm just sort of thinking that it's like, okay, <laughs> we are not going for the low price stuff. We can never compete with it, but it, what happens is it's always a race to the bottom and it always ices out all the domestic developers. And, and people automatically start searching for price. So what, what if we did this? I, I was thinking this in the shower last, last night. It's like, you know, everyone, <laughs> you, you, you don't, you, you, there's no, there's no pricing war, right? But 
everyone starts out as $100 an hour and maybe you get up to two or 250 or $300 an hour or something like that. Um, and once you become a tr- you know, expert, I've done, you know, 50 or a hundred sessions. I have, you know, 90% of them are five star reviews, you know? And so, you know, if you're getting on some guys on with somebody who's a, a, a total Linux guru, badass, and he's done, you know, $300 an hour is no big problem because maybe in a half hour he'll solve 10 of your problems. Right. Hmm. You're just like, don't do this, do this, do this, do this, do that. You know, you're going to, uh, you're getting the help of a true expert and um, I was just thinking that as a way to combat, combat the low race to the bottom stuff. Well, it's an, and, it's an interesting thing because it doesn't just combat that. It also combats the boil the ocean problem and creating a niche problem in a big way. Because basically what you're saying is it is only high end. I mean, because obviously we're just going to do tech, right? So it's only very high end experienced tech people who are on any food. And essentially those are the people who should be on any food because those are the people who you need the help from, right? Right. I mean, if, I mean, you don't want somebody, oh, I'm a master, I'm a SQL master and I charge $9 an hour. It's like, you know, I mean, it's just stupid. Um, and especially when people are only working with you, these are the kind of things that people might work with you for anywhere from a half hour. We were talking about maybe a half hour minimum or something like that to four or five hours over a couple of days. I mean, this is the kind of person like, Hey, I'm new to this. I need someone to walk me through the configuration, get me started, answer some of my hard questions. And I might call them back in day or two to to follow up on some stuff. I mean, some people may use it more. They may have ongoing, like every week we, I do a code review with this, uh, Python guru, you know, and every, at the end of every week we we spend two hours going through all, all the code. Right. I wonder if a hundred's too high though, because no, maybe the low, maybe you start at 50. I think I, 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 maybe you start at 50 or a hundred and then you go up because I, I, cause you're not going to get people who are ex- people who are experts can make a hundred dollars or more an hour as consultants. Mm. Right. They just can't in the U S I mean, you're, if you're, if I you're mean, an I, expert in either things we talked about, you're, why would you waste your time charging? I oh, guess I'm to a- be useful. And, and the other thing is to, you know, to, because if we really want quality people, quality people cost at least a hundred an hour. Like, and we really want it to be known as a real quality thing. So yeah. basically by putting that as the lowest price point, then we're only going to actually have quality people, which means that the people who use the system to get to get their services will get a high quality of service and will recommend it to other people. So then more people will use the system. So it actually is probably a good idea. But the only one thing is how do okay, so hundred is our minimum price point. How do we screen and ensure that those people who go on the system can do what they say they can do? Here's what I was thinking. I mean, one thing we could do is you know you you know, we, we, people who we know of through TechZing or Startup Guild, mm-hmm. right? And we sort of do a little bit of vetting ourselves for the first, you know, 50 or 100 people, right? We've got a few Ruby guys on there, a few SQL people. You know, we just cover our bases. We get some, some breadth and some depth in some areas, okay? And then what happens is maybe what you do, this is just, thought, this is just something that's popped my head, is that you, you can trade hours with other experts, as well to get value, right? So I need, like, I'm a SQL expert or I'm a, you know, a Django expert, but I need someone who's a Photoshop expert to work with me on for an hour or two. And they rate each other. They give each other, once they vet and say, yeah, okay, this guy really is a Photoshop expert. He could answer all my questions and was good. Could Mm. communicate well. Something like that would be another way of doing it is that you get vetted for people. You come on the site and you say, hey, I'm a Photoshop expert um, or I'm an expert with AdSense, (laughs) you know, and Boom, you got all these other people who are technical experts, but they're like, oh, yeah, I need some help on that. I'll, 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 I'll vet you. And you have to get five hours of, of vetting or from at least three different other experts but, to I say, mean, okay. How would, how would a Photoshop person know what a MySQL expert looked like? I mean, it sounds like you need to connect two MySQL experts. 
maybe you could do that. I was just thinking, well, l- l- let's say that, okay, let's say that you, in your case, right, you're, you know SQL pretty well, you know um, MySQL pretty well, but you're, may- you're maybe not a, you're not a DBA, no. right? I mean, the fact that you, but there are people who are DBAs. You can tell by working with them, like, oh, God, this guy knows his stuff, right? You know, he's answering my questions and telling me all these things that I didn't know, and I'm not an idiot, right? I know I'm, I'm a competent, I'm competent with SQL, right? You could pretty much say, yeah, this guy knows his stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, yeah. No, no, I know, but I mean. If you got on with a Linux expert, you would know pretty quickly, yeah, this guy knows his stuff, right? He's answering my questions and solving his problems. If he's fumbling around and can't figure out any of, the, any of your problems, you'd be like, yeah, this guy might not be quite. Okay, but, okay, but I think a good example is, is Taylor, the depressed designer, right? Okay. Let's say Taylor was to use the system and he, he needs like a MySQL DBA, right? What's, what sort of feedback is he going to be able to give on that? Because he's, he's a designer. He doesn't mm-hmm. know MySQL at all. So yeah, I understand how it works in my case. Hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe what we could do is um, we might have to. Um... And so here's here's something else as well with the, with the people in Startup Guild um, that I've been speaking to. I think that there are definitely people who are a hundred dollar an hour people, but there's also people who I would have thought of as fifty dollar an hour who are still kind of useful. Like it's still kind of useful to communicate with that kind of a person, um, you know, because maybe maybe you're just starting out building a website. Maybe, maybe you just want to start learning HTML. You just want to start learning JavaScript. And you just want to start getting into it. You could speak to someone who's, let's say, a mid-level coder, you know, who earned for, for 50 an hour, and that would make sense to me. I would, what I would do, see, here's the thing is, what you want to do is you want to get out of the whole price war thing. And if, if, you, if you're charged at $50 an hour, like for me, right, I mean, my rate is $100 an hour. Mm-hmm. It's not super high, but it's, you know, it's okay. Yeah. And I have as many hours as I want at that rate. I have more hours. I have more, cl- I have more work than I can handle at that rate. And I could just sit here, drink my coffee, listen to my music, and just work and make that amount. I don't have to coordinate with people and set up sessions and do that kind of stuff, which is a little more headache involved than if it's just me just writing code, right? Mm. So why would I – I mean, I'm barely going to want to do it to $100 an hour, much less for $50 an hour. I mean, I might do it for – you know, $150 an hour, $200 an hour, because um, it, it's something a little different. It's a little more money. Um, but I certainly wouldn't do it for $50. I wouldn't even consider it. And if I saw a bunch of people on there for $50 an hour, I'm like, I'm not even going to waste my time. So what, it, what you would do is by introducing all these $50 an hour people, you're icing out all of the, the true experts. And what I would do is I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it that way. I would say, let's this, it's a premium. We're a premium brand. This is for experts. We're not going for mid-level stuff. We're not. This isn't price sensitivity. If you're sensitive to the fifty or hundred bucks, then you know you need to think of another option. But if you can pay a few hundred dollars for a couple hours with a true expert, then this is where you go. So okay, I would, so, I would, uh, I would almost like a, bo- a boutique, high end. This this is the true experts. Okay, so how are we going to um, turn down our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> and people in Startup Guild, oh, sorry, you know, sorry, you're just, you're just not good enough. You can't, you can't do it. Like, how are we going to do that? We're going to lose listeners. <laughs> We're going to lose friends. Well, I mean, first of all, like only a small fraction of our listeners and Startup Guild uh, members would, would be interested in doing this or would feel like there's something that they're an expert enough in to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and of the people who really think that they're awesome at some stuff, um, and are going to want to do this, most of them will be pretty, probably pretty damn good. So it's probably only a small fraction of the people overall, would, who, people who think they're great, want to do it, but then aren't good enough. 
that's, that's probably not, that's probably going to be less often the case. It's, it's one thing, it's just one thing to, to claim on a resume that you know X, Y, and Z technology to get it to inflate your resume because people do that pretty often, right? I know Java and I know Python, all this stuff. It's another thing when someone's going to get online an hour and you're supposed to walk them through because you're going to be in a bad situation if you don't really, can't answer their questions and you I, said you could. I guess what we can do is we can basically, if, if we set some guidelines and you don't meet those guidelines, then it's, it's not going to be offensive that we say, look, you just clearly don't meet these guidelines. And one of those things could be that you have been doing this thing professionally day in and day out for at least two years, right? I don't, I don't know if I, if I even care about years. It's just, you're an, are you a true expert? If yeah, I can ask but, but, but just saying, are you a true expert? It's so easy to say, yes, I am. I mean, look, I have experienced that again and again and again on Odesk and Elance. Like, you speak to these people, you say, are you an expert at PHP? Yeah, I'm an expert at PHP. Everyone says they're an expert at PHP. Everyone thinks they're an expert. Like, you have a look through all of the freaking resumes on Odesk. They've all got five stars on PHP. But that's not what makes an expert. What makes an expert is someone who's actually worked with it, like, for a living. You know, it, years, is, years is not a very good thing because some people can become really good at stuff in a, in a year, and some people will be five or ten years, and they're still not that good. They're just not that smart, or they're just not that kind of, they just don't have the brain for it, or they, they don't care to continually challenge their own skills and improve. I mean, even Node.js, Node.js hasn't been around that long. How can you have two years of Node.js expertise? I'm or, telling you, we, we need somewhere, okay, I, I love the whole idea that one thing that, that we need to think through is how do, how do we put these people on the site and trust the fact that they can charge the $100, the $100 an hour? Some, $100 Hundred and up. Hundred and up. Somehow we need to we need to trust that that they are good enough. And I don't think you can have a system where you just let people sign up and start offering their services for a hundred. Like we, we're going to be in trouble. Like the, not yeah. uh, not us, but the brand's going to fail ultimately. Yeah, because, no, we have to come with some vetting. You, yeah. some, some so you know you have some maybe you have a handful of test questions. Maybe you have other experts vet you know vet one another on the site. Um, I think that I, I, I think that's probably what it needs to be. It needs to be something like people. So we so the, the first bunch of people come in right that we that we get in. So it's almost like an invite only network in a sense. So oh, people, yeah, absolutely. People, oh, yeah, you can apply or be invited. Yeah, you can apply or be invited, but then you need to be reviewed by people on the site. So part. Part of your responsibility, your ability to earn the money is the fact that you kind of are, are involved in reviewing some people. So it's like it's like constant job interviews, I guess, in some in a way. Yeah. And, and the way I think we charge is we charge like a, a you know, we, we probably make it free for the first do whatever three months or whatever until we get, get a critical mass of people. And a critical mass may only be cover. You know, we just have to have reasonable coverage of all the main technologies. So maybe you have 100 people. Well, do, yeah, do do what we did with uh, what I did with Plugio. So basically, this is a premium system. You you will be charged if you if you want to accept work on this system. You're going to have to pay a monthly subscription, right? But mm-hmm. while you you know help us test it out um, and get it up and running, and it's it's free for the as you say for the first three months, yeah, something something like that, and then. Um and then users, people can come on, that'll be free. And then, but then if later on, a year or two down the line, all of a sudden you have a lot of demand, a lot of people say, okay, it's a mod, you know, modest fee to, to be on the service field to search. But maybe that doesn't make sense. Maybe you just make, maybe you just, you don't charge people who are going to pay money to hire people. You just charge people whose who's, uh, profiles are going to be on there. And then you could have a premium profile if they want to have like even more visibility and, and more information about them. Maybe they have like online, you know, tutorial, video tutorials, other stuff that makes people want to consider them. You can yeah. do that. 
But I think, well, you know, I can talk about, but yeah, anybody has a, any of our listeners who are listening to this, who are interested in this and think it's, has some potential, um, we'd love to hear your feedback on it. I'd love to hear your feedback, especially the, uh, this, this issue of how to get people onto the system uh, in a way that we can trust that they, when they start charging, it, it's not going to do the whole thing damage. Uh, so, so listen, let's move on. I've got <clears throat> something okay. I wanted to bring up. I've had an idea. I think this is a good idea. And um, we obviously we would love to grow Texing. I mean, th- I think everyone knows that. Uh, at the moment, we're getting something like, I don't know, over two weeks, it's almost 1,500 listeners a show. But I think that uh, we've had some great emails recently, people saying how great the show is. In fact, did you see we got one today in the inbox from the guy in uh, Israel? Yep. He's just basically just saying what a great show it is and how he wants to start a podcast in Israel um, for the startup community over there. So we've had quite a few um, emails like that. And I, I'm sort of beginning to think that we deserve a, a bigger listenership than we've got. <laughs> <laughs> I think with uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, line um, in the, the Unforgiven or Unforgiven right. applies here. Kid deserves got nothing to do with it. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so, I, so I have, I've had an idea and this is a marketing idea and this, this could really work for us. So... Here's the idea. The term tech podcast on Google, I think, is a great term for our show. So if someone, t- if someone types in tech podcast, they should see texting on that front page. And right now, we're, we're just totally not in there. But what we could do is we, could, we have the listeners and the powers to create a flash mob of basically link givers to our show. So we would just like you to um, create a link to textinglive.com with the text tech podcast on the link. And just basically link it from your blog or from your homepage or from multiple different pages, multiple different blogs. But just get us on that front page. Give us some love. Give us some, give us some link love. Tech podcast. Just link to textinglive.com with the words tech podcast. Now, the thing is that I know that a lot of other tech podcasts listen to us, right? So I'm telling you guys, don't, don't do this. Don't copy this idea. <laughs> <laughs> because it's going to suck if like all of a sudden all of the other tech podcasts do the same thing. I know so, Rob Walling. Yes. I know Rob Walling is I'm thinking. I'm talking to you, idea? Rob. I'm talking to you, Rob. <laughs> Mr. Startups for the rest of us. Don't do that. <laughs> that was our idea. <laughs> it's a 90-day moratorium. Once we yeah. get up on there, you can do it. Okay, yeah. After it's, 90 days. He knows a lot more about SEO than us. So yeah, that's thinking, right. That but basically, we would absolutely love all of our listeners to link to textinglive.com with the link text tech podcast, that would be awesome. There's 4,400 searches a month um, of tech on tech podcasts on Google. And it would be great to get some of that uh, traffic coming into the, into uh, the site. That is a good idea. Yeah. Um, and anybody <laughs> who does it and sends us an email or lets us know, we will uh, and thank you on the podcast. Uh, well, we've got to come up with some things, but yeah, we really, really appreciate it. That would be great. And uh, this would be a good opportunity since we talked about Rob. Oh, and for anyone who, who's, uh, Who's available the first week? Was it uh, June seventh and eighth? Is that right? June sixth and seventh, isn't it? Sixth and seventh. Uh, the MicroConf is going on. Rob Walling and Mike Tabor's uh, yeah. conference called MicroConf. Yeah. Justin will be speaking. Um, so if you're around, show up. We'll be there. Um, and also, if you ever get sick of listening to our show or not get sick of it, once you've listened to our show and you, you still have time to listen check out starves for the restaurants that's yeah but that's don't good... link to their show with tech podcast <laughs> <laughs> so um 
Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. That's really good. That'll be the title of the show. Give us your link love. Give us your link love. Yeah, not a bad idea. Um, okay, so so that's that. So um, I've, I do feel a bit lost because, um, as I said, this show was kind of impromptu and I didn't get a chance to write down any notes. So do you have uh, something? Another topic? Yeah, I, get a, I get a few things. Okay, so um, I'm going to go off topic for a second. The event is canceled. I, are you There's serious? No- no, it's canceled. It's, it, that's the end of the series, not just the end of the season. So one season and out. Or is that two seasons? That was one season. Well, you know what's, you know what's amazing about that? Like the very last second of the entire show, like literally the last second, was like the best punchline to a series ever. Did you see the end? Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't yeah, you think that that was such a good punchline? Yeah, it was good. It was, it was good. Like it that, was... To me, that ending made like, oh my God, now I really, really want to watch this. Yeah. What, what about you? Yeah, no, I thought it was um I thought it was good. You know, funny thing is it started off you know, I was looking for something to watch. I think yeah. after Lost was canceled and 24 was canceled, or not canceled, but they just, you know, were done. The shows were done. Um I was running out of stuff to watch. The only things that I really were watching was um Fringe and Stargate Universe. And Stargate Universe, of course, has been canceled. So uh, I wanted to like the event, but it was really only like a, uh, in terms of a grading of an A through an F, I mean, it was like a C it, at best. Mm-hmm. It started out, it was just kind of a dumb storyline. It didn't make a whole lot of sense. They gave you, they told you too much too early, I thought. Um, you know, whereas Lost aired on the side of not telling you anything. Every, every time you get an answer to a question, you get 10 more questions. So yeah. it got irritating. But th- that still worked pretty well. They just, I think they took it a little too far at times. Um, but this was the opposite, right? Instead of, instead of like not answering questions, they said, oh, yeah, we're going to tell you everything. That, we're going to pretty much lay, lay it out for you on the first in the, in the pilot episode. You're like, okay. So they're yeah. like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it would have been nice if they had sort of kept this thing, kept it a little more interesting. But anyway, but it got better as a show. And by the end, I think it had gotten to maybe a B minus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it had gone from a C to a B minus and it was going up. The last episode was probably a B plus. And so I was like, yeah, this is get pretty good. And then, I just did a check. I said, I wonder if that's the last show. And I, sure enough, I did a search on Google and it had been canceled. Yeah. I mean, if, you looked at the, if you look at the ratings, I mean, it started at like um, 11 million or something and it was down to like three or four yeah. million. The last show. But, I mean, is it all right to say what the ending was? No, it's not okay. No. Because, Can't we just because, say spoiler alert and then people no, can fast forward? No, 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 no. Because this is not worried about it. It's just not important. It just it was good because people haven't DVR'd it or might be watching would be like, it's just irritating. <laughs> okay. just, but it was good. I mean, it was good. And uh, I don't know. So that was a little disappointing. So that, uh, okay. Well, I was really looking forward to, to seeing where they took that because obviously that was pretty monumental. And like, how would you move forward with that? Um, but, I don't know. All right. It's over. And uh, I, although between the two, I'd much rather have Stargate Universe back on. Oh, yeah. I, I, the, the whole Stargate Universe thing, when I think about it, I get angry because that was a was, very, very good show. And it just seems what? really unjustified that that's off the air. It's just annoy. It annoys me because I totally want to see where it's going to go. And, and you just yeah. can't see it. Like, well, you, the, only, the only hope we have, I guess, Netflix has talked about picking up some of these canceled shows on the networks and actually um, doing the shows themselves. Really? Yeah, that would I heard be awesome. some mention of that. So, um, especially shows that have these sort of niche followings, that this almost cult followings, and Stargate Universe might fall into that. Sci-fi is particularly. Um, but how would Netflix make money out of that? Would they charge extra for the show? I mean, what like? I don't know. I just heard them talking about that. I think they were talking about it on this week in tech um, or something like that. 
um, one of those shows, but it may be, it was either that or X3, but they were talking, and yeah, I was like, man, oh man, maybe they'll pick up Stargate Universe. <laughs> Could hold out hope, so figure, keep your fingers crossed, <laughs> because I know the producer was upset about it, the producers, and, and even the, the, um, the sci-fi channel with this big three-page long explanation of why they canceled it wasn't their fault, that they loved the show too, and you know, it just well, why wasn't. Did they? Well, just because it didn't have enough people, but if you show that yeah. show to anyone intelligent, they're going to like it. Well, not anyone. Anyone who's a, anyone who's a sci-fi. Fan, yeah, sci-fi. You know, yeah, okay. Who who you don't have to be a sci-fi fan, but you 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 enjoy sci-fi at some level, then you probably like that show. It's pretty good. But the um the, they they had a couple things going against it. One is it didn't debut in the summer, which um like the other Stargate the other Stargate shows and other shows have taken off to start. They picked up in the summer and. In, like at the fall, it debuted in the fall, so it had to compete against all of the other big shows. Oh, I see. Which, because they were, because what was happening is that the um, the studios are comparing how it did compared to these other Stargate universe, Stargate shows, and the other Stargate shows had that in a, as an advantage. The other thing they were comparing it to was that the number of, um, of of live watchers versus people who might be DVRing it. Yeah. And and the thing is that way more people DVR now than they did back in like two thousand four, two thousand seven. Yeah, exactly. So you can't even compare. It's compa- it's, it's not it's, it's apples to oranges. You well, know, you and watching it on it. other devices, you know, and all I've and never Hulu watched it. I've and never, I've never watched it live. I only watch it DVR. Yeah, I mean, who, I don't watch any of those shows live. I mean, I always watch them DVR and then watch it at my convenience later on. So I don't know, but uh, that was a little disappointment. So I got uh, I got a couple other things I think would be kind of fun. Okay, go. So so we've been planning out Colby's summer. Um, what he's going to do? So Colby is six and a half. And uh, you know we got to figure out what to do with the kids in summer. It's not like they're when they're two and three. You know you don't really do it. They're just around the house, right? You take them to the park and you do little activities with them. But when they start getting to like five, six, seven, I mean you got to figure out what to do with them because they're just sitting around the house all day. Yeah. And it's not like you live. It's not like we live in some suburban area out in the middle of nowhere where you can just let the kids run around the neighborhood and say be back by dark. You know, um, it's you know not not that kind of world anymore, and not where we live anyway, which is sort of semi-urban. Um, so, you know, think about these camps. So we're going to send him. This is what we're going to do. He's going to go to a week of rocket camp, which is like a day rocket camp. camp. Where did you even these. hear about that? Sandy just did a search. Sandy's a research expert. She just hits the Google and she's one with the Goog. I tell you. <laughs> so she, 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 she achieved oneness with the Goog and um, found that there's a camp where they go through. I think it's half a day. It might be all day where they work and build on robot. Um, uh, Build rockets, and at the end, of, at the end, they build a. Uh, each person builds their own rocket that shoots a thousand feet in the air. So, is it a rocket that's powered by, um, you know, like pressure, or is it a rocket that's actually powered by uh, fireworks? I think it's. Uh, I think I get the impression a thousand feet. I don't think you could do like a. Um, I think the the ones that are like hydro powered or whatever. Yeah, yeah, hundred few hundred feet maybe. So he's a huge fan of anything rocket or spaceship oriented. <laughs> so, and he's going to go to a week of robot camp oh where my build, god where they're going to build robots and they have like a robot war at the end okay this is also like in the same it's all run by san marino which is so we live in pasadena and right next door to us colby is, is going to start the singularity <laughs> yeah. and then he's going to do two weeks of flag football camp so they get a, they do flag football for a few hours a day and then they do a swim for an hour so it's like it's only like half a day yeah he's going to do um uh a week or maybe two weeks of soccer camp, which is all day. And he's going, and of course he has, um, is that, is this all very expensive? If you you mind me asking, it's 
which one is like 160, 180 dollars a week kind of stuff. 150 huh. you know, and two. Does he live there? Uh, no, 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 none of them are sleepover camps. They're all like day camps. Oh, okay. So you, you, you pick them up, drop them off every day. Fair enough. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Right, right. So, um, yeah. So, and then of course he has swim lessons in the mornings, um, which the kids have been doing for years, which they love. They the really nice pool they go to. And, and so he's gonna have swim lessons, karate, karate, two days, two nights a week, soccer practice, two nights a week and a game on a Sunday, soccer camp for two weeks, Flag football camp for two weeks, rocket camp for a week, and robot camp for a week. And I'm like, why can't that be my summer? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, let's go build rockets, and I'm going to go take good karate, and then I'm going to go to soccer. I'm like, I want there to be dad camp. Yeah. <laughs> just go and spend a summer. I, I mean, I just think of how fun that is. I mean, like, I'm like, this kid is going to have the greatest summer ever. And it was funny. They were at... um. Sandy was uh, at karate. He was a karate class and Sandy's there, you know, with all the other parents watching and um, they're talking about, they're going to have karate camp for a week. I think it's a sleepover camp and it's going to be in Las Vegas. And um, it's and Colby looks at, uh, looks at Sandy, you know, as, as, he, as, he, as the instructors explain that to all the kids in the class. And he looks at, he looks at his mom and goes, he's like, yeah, you know, I want to do this. And she's like, no, mouth. <laughs> no and he's like come on no she's he's already doing like eight other camps <laughs> i know she's just like no you're not doing it and he's like come on because i'm thinking man that would be fun too. go to a week of karate camp i mean oh, jesus what's this when you're like six or seven i'd be like the greatest thing in the world i mean all this stuff is just awesome and i just think man kids these days the kind of fun stuff they get to do i mean my summers were just running around the neighborhood doing whatever, which is fun to a degree, but isn't as fun as this stuff. And, and then maybe when I was like older, when I was like 11 or 12, I would go to like a week of soccer camp or, you know, I did. So football. was that just not available when you were a kid? <sighs> I don't think as many camps were as available when yeah. I was younger. I think a couple of things that happened. I think people, for a lot of reasons, this is a whole other discussion. People aren't, don't let their kids out run around the neighborhood. You know, everyone's worried about their kids being abduct, abducted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the kids, so you have to, kids are more, have to be part of activities, supervised activities. And um, I think also back in the 70s when I was a kid, I think less, um, it was less common for, for parents to work. And so the parents, the moms would be home all day with the kids. Nowadays, a large percentage of moms work, especially once their kids are, you know, in school six or seven and up, right? So what are you going to do with the kid all day? Right? Yeah. I mean, it's like you can't, they can't just be sitting home alone. Um, so you, you, you know, I think these camps fill that need. So I think that's one of them. And I think, you know, especially in wealthier areas, I mean, parents want their kids doing interesting and enriching things. They don't want to sit around and watch TV. It's like, are right, you're going to, you do want them to have fun, but you also want them to, you know, do good stuff with their mm-hmm. time. Anyway, I just thought that. I mean, Colby's big summer. I'm like, wow. No, that's, that's good. Awesome. Nice. We just need, we need to have dad camp. <laughs> well, you know what? If I mean, if we can build up uh, Pluggio and Apic Night to to bring us the residual income that we want, right? And maybe maybe any food too. Um, then then we can do it. We could do a summer like that, you know. But a Crete hacker camp. Yeah. How awesome would that be? Hacker camp. Yeah. Well, I like the uh, the other camps sound a lot better. The rocket camp. <laughs> 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 the robot camp. <laughs> a little swimming, play a little flag football. Let's go build rockets for a couple hours. Eh, that'll be fun. That'll be cool. So I got, I got yet another topic. Why don't you go on to something? But 
and then I'll go back to my. I, I don't. I don't think I have anything uh, other than just Plugio's growth. I'm just checking in with Plugio's growth, but that's all. Yeah, let's check in with Plugio. Sure. Okay. Uh, so I'll give the countdown. So we're now the first twenty-eight days of um, May. So right. going back from December, the first twenty-eight days, seven hundred thirty-eight dollars. January, the first twenty-eight days, eight hundred fifty-nine dollars. February, one thousand one hundred. March, one thousand three hundred and seventy. April, one thousand six hundred sixty-five. And May, this month, the first twenty-eight days, two thousand one hundred twenty-nine dollars. Two thousand, how much? One hundred twenty-nine. So we have what? How many days are in May? Thirty-one. Uh, Thirty-one, yeah. So you might hit. We were. It was. Your program was been estimating what twenty three hundred. Yeah, it's gonna. It's still estimating that it's gonna hit twenty three hundred by the end of May. That's not bad. It's That's probably bad. gonna hit it. It's be very very likely. The cancellations is not as good as it was. Um, I don't know why a whole bunch have come through. No refunds. Um, <clears throat> but now I've got sixteen cancellations so far this month. So I've I've had five hundred ninety seven worth five hundred ninety seven dollars worth of signups this month. And I've had $199 worth of cancellations. And now, now the cancellations are real money versus beforehand it was the f- kind of free cancellations were mixed in there. Right. So I've had 16 cancellations. Um, and then the kind of typical rate was something like 22 on any previous month, 22, 24. So it's still kind of <clears throat> sort of similar. But the one difference is, is that people so far haven't asked for refunds. Now, what I may find out is that you know, the in the end of next month, all of a sudden people start asking for refunds and then the whole 60-day thing is backfires. But I'm thinking probably won't. Well, yeah, so I, now are you going to start integrating to Tango? Yeah, I've started to, yeah, to Tango. That's a good thing to talk about. So I have, I've integrated to Tango. <coughs> oh, wow, um, that didn't take long. No, it's easy. But the, but the thing is that um, I'm, I'm, trying to talk to those guys and get them to, to sort of change the way that things work a little bit because the way that they've got it is that you if, if you want to like add a value onto some something it's almost like you need to to capture someone as they sign up right but i've already got 150 right. customers so what i prefer to do is the way that get clicky does it whereas they allow you to tag people at any time um okay. so you know and you can keep on kind of firing that tag so ultimately what I'd like to do is each time someone logs in, I'd like to say this person is, has just logged in with a free account. This, this person has just logged in with account that's worth nine ninety five a month. And then right. that is the way that they keep track of revenue and stuff on their side, rather than me have to trap each person as they sign up. I think that would make right. a lot more sense, but um, <clears throat> I've, I haven't had a chance to fully discuss that with them. Also, I think I need them to go through it with me because as it stands, I don't really understand what their system gives to me yet. I think I need to have a, a chat with one of their guys to talk me through how the stats are useful and how to make the most out of their system. So right, right. that's what I need to Interesting. do. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, cool. Um, are you still put? How much time are you putting into Plugio these days? Um, I, I'm about a couple of hours a day right now. Mm-hmm. That's good. Probably a couple of so hours. You still, you still making a lot of progress because you were really making progress a couple weeks ago. Are you are you keeping that pace? Yeah, I've made some good. I I um, added um, bulk scheduling of tweets so people can basically schedule tweets via Excel. So they they add their tweets into an Excel file, type in the times, and then they just upload one file. So that's not okay. a big deal. Oh 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 oh! I've got a deal happening right now with a with a very large company. This is the deal that's been going on for. I don't know, like four or five months. 
where one. You mean the negotiations been going on? Yeah, it's right. sort of a negotiation. Well, what's happened is this guy in this company, which shall remain unnamed, but it's it just just say it's a, a Fortune 500 company. They they have been showing people how to use Twitter within the marketing arm of this company, and okay. they've been exclusively using Plugio. Right. So, wow. so, so they've been giving presentations and training sessions to 20 people at a time globally. And they've, they've just been using Plugio to, to show. So what I've, what I've done is I've set up a scenario where they have like this whole um, plan thing for themselves. So basically it's company test plan, right? So, right. so you know, like my typical 1995 plan, well, within the system, they, right. ha- they have their own plan. So basically he just gives me the email addresses of everyone in the company. I set them up. And so far, it's been completely free. But he's known that one day they need to kind of pay. So what it's looking like, it, not everyone who, who he trains to starts using Plugio, right? He starts getting into it. But what it is looking like is that we're going to cut a deal, something like a 28, 30-seat license um, for a year. They want to pay a full year in advance. And um, nice. I think it's going to be a deal for around about $6,000. That's nice. Fantastic. Not too bad. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. You know, I like that. <clears throat> That's great. So the Plugio, the little engine that could, is is keeping on going, right? If if it grows, the, if it keeps on growing the way that it's growing now, which I, you know, I don't know that it, it may well bottom out, but if it does, its target should be around about 100,000 in the first quarter of 2012 per year. Yeah. Like a hundred thousand dollars a year by first quarter Yeah, first yeah. No. Amortized. Okay, it'll be making it that rate. Yeah, it, yeah, it'll be making like ten thousand a month. Nice. So then you're done is for consulting. In very close to done. Yeah. <laughs> you're done. Full time plugio. Very nice. Yeah. I'm excited about that. That's really cool. It's it's hey, it's like watching the biggest loser. You know, you get in <laughs> and it's like, ah, oh, see how much they lost, you know. <laughs> he says how much money you made. It'd be funny, you know. We, we talked about doing like that startup competition on start uh, on startup guild where yeah. it's like, you know, you have within a month and everybody releases on the same date. And it's like the first company to make like, you know, you can actually do it like the biggest loser. You have teams, groups of startups, you know, yeah, and they vote each other off the island or out of the group or they have to go home. You're out, <laughs> you know, you're dead to us. <laughs> Did you see that we got a few emails? Um, oh, I, maybe I didn't forward some of them to you, but there's, there has been a few emails where people have said, that that their whole perception of like wanting to build, you know, to to swing for the fences versus go bootstrapped has changed since listening to the show. So they're like, they really are beginning to believe the bootstrapped path is the is the way to go. Yeah, well, I guess we make it seem accessible, right? I mean, it's like we're we had nothing particularly going for us. We don't live. We're not in a an startup accelerator. We're not receiving funding. We don't necessarily have partners. We we have you know wives and or kids and mortgages and consulting work and we're still making it happen yeah we're still making progress so that's great that's great awesome. i think especially plugio because you actually released yours and they're making and generating revenue so that's it's one thing for me to talk about my stuff which has been released and it's like okay you know jason's working on code great you know what does that mean to me but the fact that you're actually growing a revenue stream that's now reaching a level where it's it's uh, it's uh, uh you know good amount Right, it's meaningful. I it's also not- calculated well, that Plugio's, all of Plugio's growth is based on about sixty new visitors hitting the site a day. That that sucks. You gotta you gotta turn that dial. <laughs> 
I yeah. had an idea for you, actually. Oh, go on. So you you know you had hired that one guy who was writing up blog posts for you. Yeah. And what five hundred dollars a month or something, and he was he would write three posts a week or something. Was that was that he, the deal? Yeah, he was writing. He's writing one a day. Yeah. Okay. What if you split his time and you said, all right, what I want you to do is, you know, two days a week, um, you write you write emails to different big blogs that are in this niche and about our latest um, with a hook to a story about Plugio based on some of our new features and, and things. That, that probably would be a good idea. Probably be a better idea. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to still have like two, two posts a week, I would do like two posts a week to Plugio's blog, three days a week. He's reaching out and writing any number of emails, personalized emails to big blogs um, that, you know, or at least blogs have, you know, users in the th- uh, readers in the thousands or tens of thousands who might cover the space. Yeah, I think that's that sounds like a very sensible plan. That's the kind of marketing that should be done at this stage. Kind of reaching out, the reaching out versus uh, you know just dealing with people who once they hit you. So I because that's what you know. Um, not, uh, my, I was at uh, Michael Slowinski at Nasby yeah. did yeah. right, and he's that's what causes growth. See, you releasing features helps growth because not because just people like it more. But because you, you give a reason for these other blogs to write about you. Yeah. And, and you have to pitch them with a hook for a story. Like, you don't just say, hey, this, you kind of have to pitch them like, this is why you want to write about us, because this is what our competitors are doing, this is what we're doing. And you think, what's the story with Plugio? The, the, Plugio, the interesting Plugio story, one of the hooks, I mean, because you can come up with lots of different hooks, but one of the hooks might be that it's a little engine that could, right? It's bootstrapped, it's not, you know, venture funded, but you're going up against these Goliaths and you're making money. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I'll I'll talk to that guy about that and uh, see what he says. Yeah, I'm sure it'd be just as, you know, for for him, he's writing for a blog, he's writing emails. I mean, what does he care? Yeah, it doesn't (laughs) make a difference, yeah. And it'd be just something a little different might be interesting. So I got another article. Okay, good. I mean, another idea. So um, uh, there was a little discussion in the Startup Guild about the idea of this. I think there was a couple of patent trolls that are out there starting to sue people. Mm, That just sucks. Yeah. And... One of the techniques of these patent trolls seems to be is that you go after the smaller people first who are making money, making enough money that they have something that you can. So you don't go after somebody who's making next to nothing because that's what you call judgment proof. They don't have enough money for you to take. Yeah. The higher defense. They'll just fold up and quit or whatever. But you go after companies that, you know, they may be half a million or a million dollars a year, you know, a couple million dollars a year. They, they don't want to spend a lot of money in legal um, costs. And so they, they might just settle on something. But if you, if you go and you sue a bunch of those smaller companies and then you make some money off of them, then you, can, then you have a wonderful war trust to go after the bigger companies. And you can, they kind of bootstrap, they bootstrap themselves that way, right? <laughs> right? That's, it's a bootstrap trolling. Yeah, yeah, right? Unbelievable. That's what they're doing, which makes sense. You don't go after Google or Apple first. You, they're the very last you know, company you go after. You go after the small ones first, and then all of a sudden, once you have a war chest of, you know, millions or tens of millions of dollars that you've siphoned off from these small startups, it's sort of, um, I don't know what the term is, uh, racketeering. But what is. are they doing? Are they are they just getting license payments? I mean, how are they handling? Yeah, yeah they just come to settlement. They're probably agreeing some kind of license payment. They're like, we will sue you, and it'll cost you a ton of money, or you pay us a license fee. Right? So I had an idea to fight that. Go right. On. So here's the idea. You, you, heard a, you know what the ACLU is and the EFF? The ACLU is the American um, Civil Liberties Union. Electronic and, f- uh, Freedom Foundation, is it? And that's EFF. Electronic. Yeah. So these are not-for-profit 
um, companies that fight for civil rights of different kinds. So the ACLU fights for uh, you know civil rights violations of various kinds, and they they have the two parts they have like a foundation and they have like a, a legal department. So the legal department will help litigate cases. They'll take up cases. Yeah. of people who are who are being marginalized because not only do they want to help people but they also want to keep precedents from being sent that that curtail civil rights. Yeah. Right? Cuz the governments governments by the nature of governments are always looking to gather more power, right? So you have to fight that off. And you don't want legal precedents being set <clears throat> because the people they're suing just don't have the money uh, or the quality of legal counsel and they'll, they'll they'll also I think they'll file what are called amicus briefs or something, which is like, they'll, they'll file a legal opinion to the court based on their, you know, as the ACLU. This is what the ACLU thinks of this case. Right, right. And the EFF does that with, with which more like, um, you know, I think like uh, things like tracking users and, and um, I, I don't know, different legal rights that, have, that are to do with the digital world. Yeah. And the internet. Okay, what if you created a, something similar that was to fight patent trolls? And Small companies would be, you know, or, or I don't mean small as in like one person's bootstrap, but, you know, some larger companies that are making some money would be incentivized to donate money to these companies to fight off the patent trolls. To that's, a good, that's a good idea. So basically, if they're approaching, if they're going to sue a small company, it's the same as suing a large company. There's no difference. They'll, they'll take up, they'll, they'll help take up the case, you know, so they'll go after these patent trolls and say, okay, well, now, now you're fighting us. And they're like, oh, crap. Right. Yeah. And the big companies like the Googles of the world would want to put money into it because they know these patent trolls are going to come for them eventually. And by that time, they have a foe. They yeah. want to nip the bud, nip yeah. these patent trolls in the bud. Yeah, that's a great idea. So you create a, yeah. So I'm writing a blog post about that and see if I, you know, kind of a call to arms to create a, you know, a patent troll, um, you know, sort of defender. I think defend. that is a really good idea. That's the kind of thing that could get, you could see a very similar um, pattern that we saw with the whole startup guild post, you know, right. the whole entreporn post. Yeah, that could be a, that could be a bell ringer right there. That could go to number one, but even more than that, I mean, it's, I think something like that needs to exist. Something has to, has to be, has to exist to fight off these uh, patent trolls. They're just a parasite on the system and they're too dangerous to be out there. Just, you know, sort of um, threatening people, you know, with these crappy bs allegations that people just settle because it's just too uh too annoying or too expensive to fight okay i don't want this to be an empty promise i want you to make a commitment that you're going to do this i'll do it i'll write this one okay I when think is it going to be work. there when what, what when are you going to have this and don't say two weeks I'll have, it, I'll have it up by the end of next week I'll have, it, I'll have it by the end of, i'll have it by next show okay so by 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 next show okay that's that's a promise i really want to see that we got to come up with a name for it, like a, a working name for it. So it's like the American Civil Liberties Union. There's the, you know, the uh, Electronic Freedom Foundation. We got to find like the, the uh, patent, you know, I don't know. We had to come up with some kind of thing about anti-patent trolling or something. Yeah. Maybe it's not trolling. Trolling isn't a very good word, but we got to come up with something. So maybe you can help me brainstorm with that offline. Yeah. Or if anyone, if any of our listeners have a good idea for the name, a working name, because a catchy name will help, will help sell it. Yeah, people. It has to sort of be self-describing, you know. It's like it's got to be catchy and short. Come up with the acronym has to be something that you can kind of say, like ACLU. It's sort of you can say it as <laughs> four-letter acronym. E- EFF, EFF is good. Yeah, EFF is good. So you got to come up with something. So anyway, I thought that was cool. So um, yeah, Gwen, we're, we're, I think we're coming up to the end of the show. Unless you've got anything else to bring up, maybe a, a quick little last one. I got a couple bullet ones. I'll go real quick. Okay. So I was working with the uh, Google Maps API. Oh yeah. So 
for Uber, you know, which you need to be able to watch, which is my one of my primary, which is my primary client. Um, I've been creating a real time dispatching system in uh, on Node in Node.js. Yeah, and one well, of the other pieces to it is you need something to watch, be able to see in real time what's going on, kind of like air traffic control mm-hmm. would look at. You know, and see like all where so you like look at San Francisco, and I can see all of the cars that are online that are looking at where they are. are they are they driving someone? Are they available to for pickup? So and you've, then all, you've been creating like a live Google Maps API. Yeah, and it's called Godview. Oh, nice. <laughs> Well, they had a version that was called Godview, but the thing is, it would, every four seconds, it would just um, pull from the database, would do this giant pull and pull from all these text files. It was this really strenuous uh, job yeah. uh, for the servers. So you could actually see it hit the servers. And I'm creating something that's going to be real time so that you connect in and it you don't even pull the dispatch server. You just keep a, a socket open using, I think I'm going to use socket IO for that part of it. Right now it's pulling every four seconds. But the dispatch server will just send down the JSON, you know, of, of, of like where all the cars and the people are. And that, and it's, it's really efficient. But even the next version, what I'll do is that I won't send snapshots, everything where I'll send like deltas. Like this is, these are the messages that have changed. Like this yeah. car now closed. This is the, this is the latitude longitude of this client, this, you know, whatever. That sounds sweet. That's like air traffic control. Exactly. And then you can use socket IO, so you leave a persistent connection, and then it just sends deltas. And then not only that, we're, we're going to use, rather than JSON, use JSONP. Have you heard of JSONP? Yeah, JSONP. So, uh, yeah, so basically uh, you send back a function, a function name, and then <clears throat> when, the, when the JSON hits the page, it calls a function that's in your page. Yeah, so and it, I, I had heard of it. I never used it. I would just send JSON back. But one thing I noticed is that um, it was a little... When you have big JSON objects, you have a lot of data, mm-hmm. it's, it can be a little slow yeah. to parse a big JSON object. But JSONP um, is evaluated by the JavaScript interpreter, and it's not parsed by a JSON parser. Right. It's much faster. Yeah. And um, which I, you know, I was talking to Curtis. It was Curtis's idea to use JSONP. He used it at Expensify. Um, and he said that it was like 100 times faster. Like something was taking JSON, you know, it was like something like that, 10 or 100 times. It was unbelievably um better as a well, as a that's sl- interesting so you so what you're saying is is that if i change all of my json responses to json p mm-hmm. and then so basically that that will just speed the whole system up across the board that's that's very nice because i i, I do notice a little bit of a lag time sometimes and that's why i've created this kind of spoof multi-threading environment so every time i make a json call i do it through a set timeout so that yep. so essentially what happens is it doesn't freeze up the um the interface because it does this little yep. set timeout, right? And then that comes back. But you're saying with JSONP, that kind of changes things. Yeah, I mean, you should be doing things async. You do, you do your JSON calls asynchronously anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so you do it asynchronously, but yeah, JSONP, I, I, you know, I hadn't even heard of it as, an, as to be, I had not heard of JSONP in terms of it being faster, but he says it's way faster. And then when I was looking on Wikipedia and it said that it's evaluated by the JavaScript interpreter, then I was like, oh, okay, now I understand why. Well, you see, um, I, I just heard of it as for dealing with um, cross cross site issues, right? That's yeah, the only that's reason the why main, I'd, I'd heard of it, but not faster. Yeah, that's, that's the main selling point is it allows you to make an HTTP request outside your own domain. And, and, and that's one of the reasons that Curtis wants to use it is, is, is that the way the server configuration is that they're probably going to be on different servers yeah and uh so he's like well let's use json p for that and oh by the way it'll be way faster and i'm like wow that's cool i didn't know that so um i thought json p is really cool um and the, <clears throat> the maps the google the javascript uh google maps api is so nice oh it awesome is so, 
Awesome. Well, it's version three. I mean, it didn't take any time at all, and it's very efficient. And uh, I had just fun playing with it. I mean, I was just a few hours the other day. I'm like, boom, okay, here are your cars, here are your people. Everybody's moving around. Sweet. <laughs> so, no can, so can you actually see the cars move? Well, not now, but you will be able to. You'll be able to kind of see the car inching along the road, will you? Yeah, yeah. So the way it works now is, um, well, the, the first version, it updates every, it pulls every four seconds. Yeah. But uh, the next version will be like a streaming, and you'll just see it move. Um, but cars themselves, the way the systems work, uh, the, the smartphones, the, so every car has its own you know, iPhone yeah. or Android phone, and every user has the same, every client. And those phones, you know, they, they connect into the central server every four seconds. They pull every four seconds. So they don't even update any, any more frequently than that. Yeah. But um, it will still be even a smoother – it's streaming rather than um, – moving but yeah the first version i built and, and even in just like three or four hours it showed all the cars moving around if you move your mouse over the car it has a little bubble it shows the name of the driver in the car and their status and it shows a lot does line it to- say the speed of the car it doesn't but we could do stuff like that because we we're talking about that i was talking about curtis because their their ops team because they have ops teams for i guess in new york now in san francisco and these are people that work with the drivers and clients and people are having problems and trying to figure out who's get if if there's been double dispatches or any kind of issues well the first version of the old godview is an old system built on in old data structures and it's just kind of a nightmare to maintain and so there's been no real improvements to it and so all these new things is just going to make them flip out like oh like right now like the first thing i added is like you put your mouse over a car and it pops up the name and of the driver and all stuff. Well, you can just put your click on the name of the driver and it'll open up a new tab. Um, all the information about that driver. So you can find before you can do that. You had to go and type it in in some place. You, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking that you could look at Google traffic, which, which will give you the estimation of the speed on that road. And you could basically make a guess as to how fast that was going. You, you could oh. actually do a smooth animation, right? And then for the four <laughs> seconds, right, you could kind of guess where, which point it was going to end up at, but then mm. just do it, make sure it's slower than what it really is. And then it does a lot. The last- question is, you don't necessarily know the, the, the path that they're going to take. You don't know where they're going. Well, you know a direction that they're going in, don't you? You, you know could- directions, but these things go down the road. So you wouldn't know, like, is he going to go this route or this other route? Sometimes they go different routes. But, but uh, it wouldn't matter if it just kind of self-corrected. I mean, if there's only four, diff- four seconds difference, yeah, fair enough. So you, th- so you, could, still, you could still make a guess animate it in there and then just when the actual poll comes in you just correct it it would still be kind of cool yeah i mean we could do that and we do <laughs> it does it does do an eta like it does like tell you the speed it, like we do have that information we do we do know the speed we do know the direction we do know an eta for pickup so we knew all that stuff it's just not on the old god view so the new god view is going to have all that how cool would it be if the car was actually like slowly moving for those four seconds you know that would yeah. be just the ultimate yeah so it's pretty cool <laughs> just I mean, I'm sure just Curtis was joking about. It. He's like, I'm already addicted to watching Godview. You know, <laughs> you're like, these cars, like, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, he's like, Travis is gonna love this stuff. He's Travis uh, Kalanick is the CEO. Yeah, it's like Travis watches Godview like a hawk. <laughs> you know, he's on that thing all day. He's like, he's gonna love this. So it's kind of fun when you build stuff like that. And everybody starts flipping out. Like all the DevOps people are like, oh, awesome! Now I can know this and I can know that. But uh, that's been really cool playing with the Google Maps API. That was. You know. I guess another thing, just to quickly finish up that idea, is if you had a little checkbox that basically said, you know, guesstimate the animation, so that what they could do is they could flick that checkbox on, and then the whole thing would be moving. And it, it, yeah. it may be slightly irritating when it, it gets it wrong and it has to correct it, so sometimes they could just turn that checkbox off, and then it would just be their four seconds. Right, right. Oh, what other thing I wanted to bring up? Yep. 
quick is there's a, something called Message Pack. I go if you if you go to msgpack.org, yeah, it's a new way of of like sending very very efficiently sending JSON. Um, okay. I, I, some there were some like incredible speed ups for it, so that if you're not using JSONP, I mean, I don't, I don't think you would use it use JSONP, but if you're using straight JSON, Message yeah. Pack is like a way of just sending this highly optimized. Uh, JSON. Oh, interesting. Um, so, would, are they talking about the transport, or are they talking about the you know the encoding, the encoding of the of the JSON? It's it's way faster. It's much smaller to send, and it's way faster to um, encode and decode. I think or decode. Oh, inter- like- yeah, yeah, you're right. Serialization and deserialization speed test. So it's basically, oh wow, it's massively different. It's point. It's one point two seconds versus point eleven seconds. To eleven seconds? No, point eleven seconds versus one point two seconds. So it's like a thousand percent faster than JSON. Yeah, no, ten times faster. Yeah, that, that was kind of cool. I, I I don't know if we're going to use message. We might be using JSONP, which might be even faster. I, I don't know. But message pack was pretty cool. Looked pretty cool to me. Interesting. The um, the other thing I wanted to bring up uh, too is um, this can be the last one, okay? The last one. <laughs> is uh, interesting. This guy wrote an article on um, I can't remember the guy's name. Is it Swambat.com? He's, he's the problem with blogging, yeah. and he starts talking about how one of the biggest problems with blogging is that when you write a post, because everything is sort of chronological, it and it falls off the front page and into the ether, and there's no way of really finding it or seeing it, mm-hmm. and um, how that sort of devalues old content, right? Because if you have if you have like a you know, an article and it's just like, well, this was, you know, October 7th of 2008. People are like, oh, that's just old stuff. And that's one thing that I didn't do. And I took the idea from Derek Sivers where he just has a list of articles. Like this is an article. It doesn't, and here, here's all a list of all my articles. It's not like this is my daily journal or something. Yeah. And he was talking about doing that as well. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that was something that I think is really important. And I'm understanding why more people don't do that, why they use this sort of chronological thing. It makes it hard to find old you know, really interesting articles, and it sort of deval- devalues them by age. Well, you you could, I mean, yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, a lot of people do it that way. I guess that's because that's the default way WordPress is set up. But you can change WordPress to to just do it the way that you're doing. Yeah, because I I was working with this um this other client project I had. I you know they're they're trying to changing over developers, and there was this guy who's um over in the Philippines named Brian and. He, we were just getting starting to talk, and I just said, "Oh, you know, here's who I am," and I sent him a link to my, you know, to codisoperandi.com, so he would know. So he could just look at that and go, "Okay." So and I could kind of get an idea who who this guy is. But it's great because then he can read like a couple of my articles that I've written about how I'm bootstrapping a startup with three kids, or how I screwed up my Google acquisition. And it's like you kind of know my story a little bit, yeah, right, and um, or know what I think about some things, which I think is important. It's like. You can just send it and say, you know, here I am. <laughs> this is me, kind of in a nutshell, right? Yeah. And I, that's one thing I think the the website is really good for. And, and I don't know if people use it that way as much, but you know, when you when you don't do things by chronology and you just have a list of your articles on your front page, I think it gives it makes it easy for people to kind of find out who you are, understand you a little better. And that, of course, helps not only in terms of just solidifying relationships, but also people who might be interested in working with you or hiring you or partnering with you or whatever to, you know, you know, it just, it just pulls that further along. You're like, oh, okay, this guy. That's good. He, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll do something like that. I mean, at the moment, I've got that, but just without a left nav. That's the only real difference. I've just mm-hmm. got this kind of top nav. I don't say mm-hmm. the dates of any of the posts there. 
but uh, it yeah. does it does just work like a blog with older with the kind of older posts links. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Maybe I'll maybe I'll have a think about that. Uh, yeah. Because I, I got that idea from from Derek Sivers, and he he didn't do anything to do with dates because he he hand coded his site too. Yeah. And that's and that's what I wanted. I want that's one of the reasons I want to do mine. I said I'll just do it with some simple like Sivers, and I'll just write a series of posts, and I don't know. I mean, a series of articles, or really articles as opposed to blog posts, you know, and as opposed to like. You know, because you think of it in terms of a journal. This is my daily journal. This is what I think of X, Y, and Z today. I read this in the news. I think it's really stupid. I read this. This is really cool. It's like, that's not really what Derek is doing. That's not what I'm interested in doing. And so mm-hmm. why, why get yourself into this format that um, is not really optimized for presenting that type of information? Mm. Oh, that's a good thought. Cool. Good thought. All right. Well, that's, that's been, been a great show, as, as, uh, as always. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, I yeah, I guess I, I got to sit down and crank all next couple of days to get it caught up on this uh, one project. So I'm gonna don't forget to write that blog now. post. Yeah, I'll I'll write that this week. I'm due. I haven't written a post in forever, so I need to get something up there. All right, good luck with that. All right, that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs> nice.